Welcome back to the episode of My Neighbors Are Dead. I'm your host, Adam Peacock, and we're all familiar with the big names in horror. Freddy, Jason, H.H. Holmes, but who we're not familiar with are the ones just outside the terror, the ones who didn't get to tell their tales, and helping me do that this week. You may know him as a writer, comedian, performer, uh, writer on the core on Shudder, uh, Mr. Greg Smith. How are you, buddy? Hello. Thanks for having me. I'm well. How are you doing? Thank you. I'm so good. Thank you for doing this. Thanks for having me. I Huge horror head. This sounds so exciting. Oh, I can't wait, man. Uh, we're talking about uh, Saw this week. That's the that's the film we're talking about from 2004. Why this movie, Greg? This movie is weirdly very important to me. Um, it, okay. it was a big kind of door opener in terms of like low budget, making something on your own, kind of fulfilling your dreams. So like the, mm-hmm. the story behind it, the story of how they made it is very important to me. Um and then within the film itself, I, I've always been a fan of like closed room, single location, like just people locked in one space trying to figure out what the heck's going on kind of movies. Yeah. Like Cube in this uh, and like Buried with Ryan Reynolds. And this is just kind of like such a fun, perfect example. And I just think it's so, it's it's not like, it's not the best movie in quotes. There are things about it that are very- <laughs> sure. Un- sure. unintentionally funny and yeah. kind of like you can feel the seams of the low budgetness but it just kind of adds to its charm it just really works for me all i could see when danny glover was on screen was that it was murtaugh yeah i do believe that is canon <laughs> that he this is what he did after Riggs went away yeah he was just like yeah i got some downtime i'll go uh, investigate uh, a, a jigsaw <laughs> killer why not <laughs> i think this i mean i liked what you said about it you know, pursuing your dreams and like, you know, going for it and looking at it like it, it was made for 1.2 million and it made $103 million. Wild. Like it's, it's, it's in that realm of Blair Witch. Yeah. yeah. And just it, an astronomical amount of money. Not only did this first movie like make a huge ton of money and was immediately a cultural phenomenon and it kickstarted a hugely, for a while anyway, lucrative franchise for Lionsgate mm-hmm. to the point where they were like pumping out a saw literally every Halloween. Yeah, it was something like five or six in a row, right? Every Halloween it came out. I want to say they seven, maybe even was it seven, something like that. Um, yeah, I I remember when I saw it for the first time. I didn't. I was kind of like I was excited, but a little nervous because I didn't know what I was getting into. Uh, it, do you remember the first time you saw it? Was it in a theater? Did you rent it? What What was that experience like for you? Yeah, we rented it for the first time from our uh walking distance blockbuster which oof r.i.p um (laughs) yeah and i you know growing up just outside of detroit michigan uh like midwestern basements in the summer was like a big sort of like comfort space for me so i had some friends over in our cool basement with our like kind of big crt tv and we played saw and it like it rocked our world. It was so, yeah. it's just, it, it, it really, the script is so good at provoking that what would I do kind of response that I think yeah. the best horror films do because it is so like, you've got this game, you've got these clues. It's very question and answer oriented where it's like, would I be able to saw my own foot off? Would I be able to shoot <laughs> this guy to like save my family? Right. It's, it just really captured our imaginations and it felt it, it was a very active watch uh like i saw it in the theater like i said and 
at the end when he gets up and he leaves, the crowd erupted. Everybody went bananas. Did you have something like that at home when you watched it with your friends? We like screamed. I think, yeah, we, I might've even like gotten up and like paced around a little bit. It's, (laughs) it's, um, and I think that the story of the script is that that was kind of like the first image they had. It was like, I know it's two people in a bathroom with a dead body on the ground. And I know at the end he gets up and walks away. And it's such a like clean, simple, elemental twist ending. It's just, oof. Yeah. Mm, Chef's kiss. It's yeah. It's such an. I think this for the for for, know, for the first time I saw it. It did for me what a lot of the things that I like in horror did. Like it sends those chills up your spine because it's that unsettling image of just like a bloody corpse getting up and walking out. You're like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah, it upends everything at a at about the most basic level it can. Dead yeah. people are not dead, you know. No, nobody is safe. Where do you fall in the rest of the films? Saw 2 is excellent, I think. I just rewatched that, mm-hmm. actually. I think that's a really smart building on some of the themes of the first Saw, of like, you know, the, the, the whole philosophy of he doesn't kill people. He gives them the opportunity to uh, redeem themselves. To Right. And this Saw 2 really leans into that pretty hard. And it has a fun A-B story with the people in the house and the detective Donnie Wahlberg. Um mm-hmm. After that, it really goes off the rails. <laughs> yeah, it does. I, I tried to rewatch Saw 3 after 2. I had to turn it off halfway through. I was like, this... Really? This movie... The franchise really like folds in on itself in a weird, almost audaciously interesting way where everything is like, that thing you thought happened two movies ago... Here's the actual right. context, and it's just like it's almost you know people talk about Christopher Nolan making like confusing puzzle boxes. The Saw franchise is like avant-garde in its timeline depiction. It's very strange. I admire the tenacity that it takes to do something like that for the writers and directors, but also stop making it so hard on yourselves. Yes, you're just making so much work for yourself. I fully agree with that. It's so, and it's such a like. Why not just write another simple story, another simple closed, even the reboot, the soft reboot, um, Jigsaw. Uh, it's, they just didn't seem, it feels like everyone forgot what made the first film so effective. Um, mm-hmm. I'm excited for Spiral whenever that comes out. I, it, it seems yeah, like. Yeah, what? Yeah, I don't know what the deal with that is because I'm sure that got pushed back because of everything going on. Yeah, I think it was supposed to come out like right as the lockdown started. Um, but the trailers I've seen feel very kind of like back to basics. It feels a little seven esque, and it's sort of like yeah, uh, you know, embattled detective, like you know, un- not unlike a Danny Glover uh, sort of vibe. Um, and you know, Chris Rock being creatively responsible for it is really intriguing. I, I hope it injects yeah. something both new and back to basics. I think the franchise could use that. I like comedians getting more involved in horror now. I think it's it's really fun. I think Jordan Peele really kicked open that door. Sure did. And it really like highlighted a thing that I think we become comedians because we earnestly love the things we watch and yeah. we want to engage with all of them. And it sort of like makes sense that 
comedians would be able to write a pretty goddamn good straight horror film because we're so yeah we know the tropes inside and out so we can make jokes about them so what happens if you take away the jokes it's just like a good story um these are great and i i i want to make sure we talk about this because we discovered that we grew up not that far from each other uh there was a a place that i just read about today actually i don't know did you ever hear of eloise no no it's an old um insane asylum in in metro detroit and it's been it's been closed forever part of it has become now a golf course i think they sold (laughs) off part of the property and it's now a golf course so i just i've golfed golfed there once i'm terrible at golf but i could it's so cool because you're looking at the hospital like this old born uh, abandoned hospital did you have any like local michigan haunts or like horror stories that you experienced as a kid or that you guys would do uh, growing up, going to see or like daring each other to go to? Oh, good question. There was a lot of like exploring abandoned buildings in Detroit. Mm -hmm. That was kind of like, that had a very kind of industrial saw, decrepit kind of vibe. There's a lot of like, we would sneak into them to kind of like take artsy pictures and like be cool and stuff like that. But yeah, that was definitely pretty spooky. I remember... We would uh, we would have sleepovers at a friend's house, like my core friend group, and he lived across the street from a church and a church parking lot. Oh no! And at night, we would go out there. You ever play like uh, kick the can or sardines or something like that? Sure. Yeah. 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 We would play like this hiding game in the church parking lot. Yeah. And it was like you know there was maybe one streetlight, this spooky old church overlooking us. We played it like deadly quiet, so like people couldn't. <laughs> yeah. And it was like we didn't necessarily have like a supernatural lore behind it, but looking back yeah. at it, I'm like, this was a prime place for either a haunting or a killer to come and just like as we're hiding, trying to be still, just pick us off one by one. It was even at the time, I was like, this is kind of spooky in what we're doing. In my, uh, pardon me, in my hometown, there's the Cabrini Church, and it's this giant church in the middle of town, and it's the same thing. When I drive by tonight, even now, it's still terrifying because if it, unless it's changed, those orange streetlights, yeah, you know what I'm talking yeah, about, like, yeah. and it just it illuminates it, and like it's all the stained glass, but it's only it's lit from the outside with that awful orange light. It's terrifying. That is very scary. I think. I wonder if there was a like a purposeful intent to make Christian iconography of a certain era scary. Because whenever I think about any church from a certain era growing up, it's like, you are trying to scare us. (laughs) That is your goal and it is succeeding. I have not been to church in a very long time, but I can remember as a kid seeing the, I don't even know what they're called. I know there's a name for it. It's terrible. I can't remember, but it's like the, the stations of the cross, I think. Sure. Yeah. You know, like where it shows the progression of him from being caught than to being crucified. And I just, as a kid looking at that and just being freaked out and mesmerized all at the same time. Yeah. We, I grew up going to a very kind of liberal hippy dippy Lutheran church in Ferndale. Um, and I was like active in our youth group. And I remember we did a youth group outing to go see the passion of the Christ when it came out. Oh, did you really did. talk about a Christian horror movie, man? Have you seen that movie? I I saw it with my mom. 
Was it sort of, was she like, this is an important movie to see or was it? Absolutely. She was. Wow. She absolutely was. Yeah. I remember when it, when it ended, you could have, you could hear a pin drop in the theater. And I remember hearing people say like, well, look what he did for us. And I was like, I don't know if they're moved by that or the brutality we just watched for two hours. Yeah. No kidding. It's, I, it was such a weird experience seeing that movie. Technically, like under the age that an, a person should be seeing an R-rated movie, I guess. Um, what was that like? Because I'm sure you went with a with a youth group leader. We went with like the pastor at the church. Um, what was his take from all this? I was very grateful because at that time, even though I was, I'm dating myself a little bit. I was maybe around 14 <laughs> or 15. Um, mm-hmm. I already knew that I wanted to like make movies and I was writing short stories and making dumb little movies with my friends and I already kind of knew that I was into horror and I remember watching the movie and like do you remember this scene where there's like a jump scare in the movie where someone's face turns into a demon yes I yeah I can't remember yes I know exactly what you're talking about and I was just like my honest reaction was like what the fuck is this (laughs) This is being presented as like a very important, like, this is the real story. And Mel Gibson's putting a, a jump scare in it, a demon <laughs> jump scare. Yeah. And afterwards, I just told my pastor, like, this was a very silly movie. <laughs> what was his response to that? He was like, into it. He was kind yeah. of like, I'm glad that you're kind of having these sort of questioning thoughts about this like i said it was a very kind of progressive liberal church but yeah it i just and to a certain point it gets so brutal and it's supposed to be so prestigious and so like celebrated i couldn't help but like laugh at it a little bit just like you wanted an excuse to shoot a horror movie (laughs) it's really over the top uh the part that always i've only seen it i think once since i saw in the theater uh, the cat of nine tails on his oh ribs. Oh my God, yeah. That was so unnecessary. Saw is not that graphic. <laughs> no, Saw's a walk in the park compared yeah. to this. And I just, it, I remember it kind of bothered me that like the entire world was giving it so much like credence and authority. Yeah. And I'm like, you can keep it, man. I'll take my saws. <laughs> I'll, I'll have fun in this world. Well, uh, Greg, speaking of having fun in worlds and saws, I would, I, again, I'm sure somebody's going to be upset that we're, we're probably being blasphemous and I'm sorry about that, but we have to take a break because we got a guy coming in from Chicago, uh, Barry, the box blankets is going to come in and talk to us a little bit about, well, rooms, kind of like you were describing earlier. Oh, interesting. Uh, yeah. So Greg, thank you so much for coming by. Um, and yeah, thanks for, thanks for sharing uh, your stories about Passion of the Christ. Oh, of course. Uh, a totally intuitive conversation to have. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, we'll take a break. We'll be right back. Hey, neighbors. Adam and Nate here to talk to you about Patreon. Now, this podcast is possible due to our Patreon patrons, and you can become one by going to patreon.com slash myneighborsaredead. Supporting the show on Patreon's easy. You pay what you can, and in return, you get My Neighbors Are Dead merch, behind-the-scenes info on how we make the show, a shout-out on future episodes, and more. You may be wondering what we use this money for. Well, we use it for things like production costs, website hosting, traveling for the show, and our monthly meds. We are both severely medicated. Sad but true. 
Now, podcasting isn't cheap, and we appreciate any help you can give. If you'd like to see how you can help out the show, go to patreon.com slash my neighbors are dead. Thanks for listening. And now back to the show. Thank you so much for coming by this afternoon. I greatly appreciate your time. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah, real, uh, real fun to, uh, you know, I normally don't really get to kind of uh, talk about uh, my end of the deal, my end of the puzzle. <laughs> Joke. Puzzle. Sure. Uh, so I appreciate it. Well, uh, allow me to introduce Barry the Box Blankets. Uh, and I don't know, am I, I don't want to be disrespectful. <clears throat> you lease or rent warehouse spaces? Is that is that the title of a job? Sure. I feel a little disrespected. You didn't do your research. Uh, I am sort of the operations manager for uh, John the Jigsaw Killer Kramer. Uh, okay. And he, you know, we have, if you want to get into the nitty gritty, we kind of have a, uh, we have a lease to own sort of situation. It starts as leasings and then, you know, he uses them for so long. And I can't really collect on a security deposit. He messes them all up. So he winds up eating the cost. So take me through. I'm curious, prior to meeting John, the Jigsaw Killer, what was your life like prior to that? Was the business booming? Uh, Was it something you were even interested in? What got you to where uh, you are now prior to meeting John? Sure. I don't know if, uh, you know, buildings and things are things I was interested in necessarily more so as it's what puts food on the table, right? Uh, yeah. So you know, I would we would be kind of in contact with uh, youth groups, with uh, people looking to. Uh, you know, I'm not gonna lie. A lot of weird killers have sort of reached out to me even before John. The first He's one was first. an accident. I okay. Talk me through that. What happened there? The first one. Okay. So there's this. Have you heard of uh, 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 Elisa? Uh, I, I, I'm vaguely familiar. Sure. If- it was this Chicago uh, mental asylum. They've turned into a bowling alley now. Uh, and we accidentally, uh, one of the people who escaped from Elisa signed with us. He said he just wanted a place to like store, uh, you know, various wares. I don't really ask about what people want to store. Now I do. <laughs> and uh, he signed up for a, me- a month-long lease. I rented him out this, uh, this place. Uh, and when I went in to check up on him after the month had gone by, uh, bodies, bodies everywhere. Just everywhere. Everywhere. It, it was kind of like, uh, it was kind of like instead of wallpaper, just bodies. What is your initial response to something like that? Because I would, I would imagine that has to be very jarring seeing decorative body parts all over a wall. Oh, you know, you see a lot of things when you, you know, people say, you want to know a man, look through their trash. I say, you want to know yeah. a man, look through what they're trying to store. Uh, usually gets a laugh. I guess not here. Uh, no, it's very funny. Well, you didn't laugh. Uh, so when I took a step into the building and I kind of felt the the odd squish. Normally, all uh-huh. my buildings are tile. Sure. I felt a squish. I looked up. I looked around. And I kind of, I'll be honest with you, I was surprised at how little I felt. You know, I kind of thought that maybe it would freak me out, but uh, I actually, I looked at him. He was in the middle of like splaying out one of these pieces of skin as his human. You caught him in the act. I caught him in the act. I caught him red handed, yeah. uh, literally and figuratively. And I kind of said, I'm in. 
And it made the act of renting out places for storage less of a job and more of a passion. I'm I I am blown away that that is your initial response to this is that I'm in and I think it's kind of it speaks highly of the way you run a business that you're taking care of your clients first. Oh, thank you. That's what it's about. You know, these people that we pack into mental asylums that we put into our corrupt healthcare system and tell them, you know, you're going to die of cancer and I'm a handsome doctor who's cheating on my wife with an orderly. Oopsie doopsie. We tell them that right. they're not to be taken seriously, and I just want to give everyone a home. Do you know what I mean? I hear you, and I think that's great. I don't think there's enough of that in the world. Uh, so you're in. You're you see this this escaped escaped. I don't know mental patient in your one of your storage lockers flaying somebody. You're in. Do you actually take part in the killing, uh, Barry, or do you kind of just stand back and let him do his work? Now, legally. I shouldn't answer, but I'm just so gosh darn excited. I got to answer. Technically, no, I don't participate in the killings. Okay. Uh, If John asked, I don't know. I might be ready. Well, I think, you know, and that's kind of exciting. I I mean, maybe I'm in the wrong here for saying that. I think that's kind of exciting. Oh, it is. You know, you you don't want any kind of, you don't want a plateau in your career, right? You want room for For improvement. You want room to grow. Uh, so by the time you meet John, you, you're sort of already in the business, right? Sure. Like you're, my name's you're, getting around. Uh, you're ready for this. Yeah. So does he track you down or do you, is it sort of like a happy accident that the two of you meet each other? Well, it's sort of a uh, me recruiting him actually, rather than the other okay. way around, you know, uh, with a lot of these folks, the killers, the macabre killers, they don't necessarily want to do things publicly, right? So I kind of figured out the local haunts, uh, the bars they like to frequent. Usually they try to kill me first. They're like, ooh, a guy, I'm going to kill him. I'm like, no, 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 on your side. Uh, With Johnny, uh, as I like to call him, Johnny K, I saw him kind of in the corner. Normally a killer Mm -hmm. is kind of magnanimous with other killers, right? They want to brag. They want to like trade stories. He was kind of in the corner of this bar, and I walked up to him and... uh, I said, uh, I think I know you from somewhere. And he said, I hope not. I, I hope not. Yeah. And he actually, the moment I talked to him, he got up and he took out a tape and he left it on the table and he ran away. The stuff, okay. the stuff about him like leaving people tapes, leaving clothes, having to solve things. That's just how he talks, man. That's how he does. So his- that's just... That's just kind of like a quirk then. Kind of a quirk, kind of an eccentricity. A lot of these people, you know, they have, it, it, it's part of the biz, right? You got to learn how to deal with people creatively. So sure. he leaves me this tape. I don't have a tape player on me, but uh, I, I go to my local radio shack. I'm friendly there. And I talk to uh, the cashier. I get a tape player. I play it. He says, uh, I've been waiting for you. I've been looking for a place to do my bidding. And if you think you are right... I want you to skin your left arm. And right off the gate, kind of a red flag, right? A little bit. That's a little aggressive, yeah. Partially because, you know, I'd been doing my research, and uh, I think I live a pretty fine life. Uh I've got a wife. i got kids. I'm not wasting my life's potential. What what kind of lesson do I have to learn? But you know what? I want the gig. So I do it. (laughs) I... uh, Frankly, I go home and I say to my wife, my darling Lucinda, I say, I'm locking the bathroom. 
don't come in. And uh, off goes the arm skin. Uh, How long did that take? Uh, Three minutes. Good lord. Yeah, I got a pretty... Was it painful? Yeah, did it hurt? What was that like? You know, the first... It was kind of an educational experience. It was a way to kind of get myself in the head of the clients I'm servicing, right? Uh, Uh So the first, I want to say 20 seconds, I was like, ouch, this hurts. After that, you know, you kind of disassociate. Shock kicks in. You kind of look at your eyes go on the prize. I got rid of the arm skin. Ouch, you know, big mess on the bathroom. Sure. And then, uh, you know, wouldn't you know it, a friggin' puppet on a on a tricycle, I don't know how he rigged this up, comes in through my window, like on a fishing wire, okay. and it starts to talk, and it says, we can do business together. Here's my- So he, this is great. It's great for me, and I'm like, wow, he's he's all in already. And so then, you know- I kind of start setting up his uh, his little houses of horror, so to speak. What is that conversation like with your wife as you come out of the bathroom? The skin on your arm is completely gone. What what is that like? Does that is it over dinner? What do your kids think? To talk me through that. Well, you know the the blankets family. We believe in open communication. I don't keep secrets from them. They know what I yeah. do. Uh, I hope they keep my secrets from other people. You know, legality and all. But I call a family dinner. I call a family meeting. Uh, mm-hmm. Of course, they're first like, Daddy, what's wrong with your arm? I can see the insides. And I'm like, it's okay. It's okay. Have to sit. You know, losing blood. Of course. And I tell them, you kids can pick any college in the country you can go to. I turn to Lucinda and I say, "What's uh, where do you want to go? You want to go to Hawaii? You want to go to Fiji? We've got uh-huh. our meal ticket. For yeah. the rest of our lives, is this if this is how intense he deals with just signing the dotted line? I can't imagine how much he's going to do for when we start business. I would be remiss if I didn't ask what colleges did your kids pick? Well, uh, Charles decided to go to uh, Chicago Community <laughs> College, which I was like, okay, I guess I sent the wrong message. Sure, it's a fine school. Fine school. And then Julianne uh, decided to, you know, also go to that same Chicago community college. And I was just like, well, okay. I, and my wife, yeah. when I gave her that vacation option, she was like, oh, we could just do a staycation. And I was just like, I, I made a big speech. I felt like I... So I'm just sitting on a lot of money, frankly. So you're just sitting there with all this cash. I I mean, I, I was... I would go for broke if you're going to any college in the country. I'm look, there's nothing wrong with Chicago Community College. It's great. I went C-C-C. to community college for a little sure. while. No, but, I don't mean you know, class shame, certainly. No, no, no. I just I you know DePaul? You know? Uh, you got DePaul yeah, there, DePaul, you got Loyola. Columbia, you know. <laughs> yeah, you got all kinds of schools in all Chicago. Kinds of schools. I you know, we're a modest family, right? We're working class. Normally it was like I would have to if I could get one good gig with a with a serial murderer per month, you know. So this is it. Your ship has come in. John Kramer is he you're doing business with Jigsaw. You guys are ready to go. You know, you've proved your loyalty. You've cut off the skin of your arm. What is the what's the real estate aspect of all this? Do you take John around and show him different units in the city or do you like show him pictures? What is that like? Well, that's the thing. Is that John 
There, that was kind of the only person-to-person interaction we had, right, in that bar when he kind of kept to himself. Mm-hmm. Since then, it's been a lot of tapes. It's been a lot of puppets. It's been a lot of, uh, I'll wake up in the middle of the night and my television will turn on and he'll, I want to play a game. And I'm like, can we cut the formality? But, you know, I'll do it. Right. So it's been a lot of cryptic ways to show things off. I've had to do a lot of things to myself each time. <laughs> Sure. But ultimately, you know, it, it does boil down to I'll send him a text with some pics of a spot. Uh-huh. And at a certain point, I'm like, could we just cut to the text, Johnny? But, you know, he wants to pr- yeah. he wants me to prove myself every time and I'll take it. But uh, yeah, there's there's a few uh, warehouses, fire, old abandoned fire houses, uh, a few homes, a few basements. The bathroom, of course, took some took some time. Yeah. Uh, what does this do for your family? I mean, I, I would assume, you know, the, I, I don't want to jump to conclusions, but I would, ass- I, I'm guessing that's a, a slight invasion of privacy with, you know, tricycle dials coming in, your TV's turning on. What does that do to your family? Is, is morale down? Well, that does feel like a jump to a conclusion. So I'm a little miffed about that, but, uh, yeah, I would say that my children, they're not the happiest with all of this. It's that mm-hmm. classic thing where it's like, as a father, you want to provide. You want your kids to have a better life than you. But the moment they see how the sausage is made, you know, the moment yeah. they see their dad tearing off all their uh, uh, toenails and eating them to get the latest gig with the jigsaw killer, it's like, oh, dad, can't you just have a normal job? Can't you yeah. have a normal job? My friend's dad is just a teacher. And I'm like, you know. Well, I think that's the benefit of youth, right? You know, I mean, mm. now that I'm a little older, I, I can I How can old see are you, 70, 80? That... <laughs> I'm only 38. Huh. Uh, I just you look, you really look very bad. old. Thank you. Uh, you know, I, I see things that my, I, I, I look back on things that my mom did when I was a kid, and I can appreciate them now as an adult that I hated so much when I was a child. But as an adult, I can just see that she was doing the best she could. Single mom, uh, just trying to bring home the bacon, mm. as it were. So I think that your kids will probably have that that same feeling as they get older. Well, again, you're sort of assuming my kid's psychological makeup. Not the most appreciated thing to do with someone you just met. But uh, yeah, I, I suppose. Yeah, I don't accept. I suppose one day they will uh, they'll look back on this and they'll have kind of a, a nostalgia for the family. Bits. Sure. So you're, you're hitting it off with John. Business with John, again, is booming. Are you attracting other clients? Are other people coming to you saying, hey, Barry, I would like to kill my wife. Can I get one of your rooms or something like that? Sure, sure. You know, word does get around that you're working with the jigsaw. It's how I got the nickname, The Box. Mm, Yeah. Uh, You know, how do you solve a jigsaw puzzle? You look at The Box, baby. Uh, So word does get around. And I try to... Here's the thing. I don't want to be famous, but I want to be respected. Does that make sense? Yeah. Of course. So I like getting the respect of some of these killers, right? At the yeah. same time, I love Johnny, okay? He's not a big podcast guy. I'll speak frankly. Uh, his stuff takes a while. He'll come yeah. at me with... It's very intricate. Very intricate, right? He'll come at me with big labyrinthian ideas of, I need a place that has, in one room, a freezer to hang a woman who accidentally killed the child of a drunk driver and in the very next room i need a a pig uh a pig carcass grinder and a big silo to fill with pig guts and i'm like okay 
let me just waltz into downtown Chicago and see if I can find that kind of room. Just kidding. It's going to be hard. I'm talking to a tape. He can't respond. So I'd love to take on more gigs. I'd love to broaden my horizons. It's just there's only so many hours in a day, you know? Well, you know, I would never condone anybody kill anybody, you know, for any reason. Well, certainly. Well, that's that kind of brings us to this point of if there is somebody listening to the show right now and they're like, hey, I got to get a hold of Barry the Box Blankets. I don't want to say I'm going to kill somebody, but I'm probably going to do it. How does somebody go about getting a hold of you and and doing business with you? Well, sure. I would. Honestly, I would appreciate a straightforward ask at this point. Jigsaw Uh is so convoluted with the way he reaches out to me uh, with all the tapes, all the traps. If somebody just wants to reach out via my websites, my my uh, my son Charles, he's going to CCC. He's studying web development. He sent me up a website on Wix.com. Uh-huh. If you just go there, fill out the contact form. Uh, it's it's bbb.biz. Uh, just fill it out. Send me a line. You have to use a lot of code words. Here's where it gets a little convoluted. I'm. This is what I'm thinking. Yeah. Everyone. You know, everyone on the internet knows what you're doing, right? I don't want people to track me. So if you go there, it's going to look like a furniture website. Keep keep going. <laughs> if you go to the contact form, you'll see a PDF to download with all of the code words I use, right? Instead of kill, it's sofa. Okay. Instead of room, yeah, that's also room. That's a furniture term. <laughs> Instead of uh, plastic sheet plastic sheets for blood spray it's how big is the square footage of this entertainment center so there's a lot of like sort of stuff you have to go through but if you really want a room to kill you're gonna do whatever it takes uh bbb.biz make sure you go to that and i i think it's just great that you supply uh uh, like a code word sheet that's really nice oh thanks it took some time there was a lot of uh you know sort of doubles and sort of like what can we do for disembowelment? Have we used sure. have we used desk yet? Of course we did. Desk was the first one we did. Took me it some time. Pretty, yeah. yeah. Uh before I, I I let you get out of here, uh Barry, do you and John have any fun gigs coming up? Anything we can look forward to seeing your work around town? Oh, uh, well, he is a little bit private, right? And uh I guess I'll let you in a little tease. We've uh I don't know how we did this. We did an upside down room. Really? We somehow... I This took a while. Uh, I can only imagine. I have crafted a room where the moment you walk in, you immediately flip up to the ceiling. Uh, you know, a lot of his stuff has been kind of grounded, kind of industrial, kind of tactile within the corporeal sphere. Uh, yeah. I did do a, a gig without John recently with... Um, you know, he never told me his real name. I just call him Pinhead, Pinny. And he's sort of... Uh, he kind of opened up a plane of existence to this to the demon sphere, I think he called it. Sure. Right. Again, I had to do some gnarly stuff to myself to prove my allegiance to him. But also uh-huh. it kind of felt good in a sort of pleasure pain melding way. Interesting. Uh once I proved myself to him, he l- opened up the demon sphere and I kind of uh there's some supernatural elements to this next room. You go in, you flip upside down immediately, and uh the trap this time go around. It involves uh, it involves kissing because I'm uh-huh. just like let's have a little fun, right? Yeah. So I developed this kind of a trap where you have to kiss it for a minute, 
And if the trap, which has an AI, uh, if it can tell that you're not enjoying the kiss, it'll rip your lips clean off. Oh, it can read your enjoyment. It can read your. It's like those uh, those old like arcade things where you would like hold it and it would go like hot tamale or cold oh, fish. Oh, yeah, the love tester. The love tester. It's a yeah. It's a sentient demon sphere love tester for kissing, and I figure he can let that be for someone who's cheating on his wife. You know, now you have to show someone you love them or you'll die. That guy, he's he's the creative. You know, I'm the tech. I admire anybody who has just passion and the drive and the creativity to just apply to their craft and to try to better themselves and the world around them. So that is, uh, uh, you know, I've been giving you a guff lately with the things you've said about uh, assuming things, jumping to conclusions. And I just want to say from the bottom of my heart, how dare you assume that that's how I feel? Fuck you. <laughs> Harry, bury the box blankets. Thank you so much for coming by. It's been a true miserable time. I haven't enjoyed it. Uh, have me on anytime. Go to bbb.biz. Thank you so much for listening to My Neighbors Are Dead. I've been your host, Adam Peacock. The show was produced by myself with Nate DeFort and edited by Nate DeFort. Original music was done by Jesse Case, along with Dane Halverson, and our original artwork was done by Mark Nishan. I want to give a very special thank you to Greg Smith for coming by and playing Bury the Box Blankets. You can check out Greg on social media at SmithLGreg and on his website at SmithLGreg.com. If you like the show and you want to support us, please like and subscribe. And if you'd like to donate to the show, you can find us on Patreon.com at MyNeighborsAreDead. Follow us on Instagram at My Neighbors Are Dead and on Twitter at My Dead Neighbors. Again, thank you so much for listening to the show, and we'll see you next week. Do you know what an NPE is? Yeah, that's okay. No one does. It's a non-paternal event, and it's what they call it when you do a DNA test and find out that you actually are the milkman's son, or your parents used a sperm donor, or you were adopted and no one ever told you. I'm Eve Sturgis, host of Everything's Relative, where I invite my guests to talk about DNA discoveries and how spitting into a tube has changed their lives for better or worse. Episodes are out every other Friday. Find them on Campfire Media or subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. Campfire.